0: Us, uh, we've been in a series in the book of Psalms, and uh, this is our very last sermon in that series. What we've been saying is that Psalms are a somewhat of a toolbox for your soul. Uh, in the Psalms, you have depicted almost every experience, almost every condition, almost every emotion that you might go through, some that you might wish you never go through. And the Psalms gives us words <clears throat> to pray ourselves through each one of these circumstances, and so these are crucial. These are so incredibly um, helpful for your life. I encourage you to read through the psalms on a daily basis. We've looked at several uh, conditions that are written about in the psalms. We've seen how to pray our sorrow, how to pray our anger, how to pray our discontent. We've prayed, we've seen how to pray our joy, and today we're going to learn how to pray our fears. How do we pray <clears throat> Excuse me. our fears? I think very few people would uh, disagree that we live in a fearful world. Last week, I was uh, making breakfast in the morning, and I was listening to the news. As I made breakfast, and my little son Samuel was there at the table, and uh, as I was listening to the, to the news, and in a matter of about 10 seconds, uh, just the whole gamut of human sorrow passed before me. And so first they talked about COVID-19 and about the, uh, the spread, you know, little pockets where the virus is still spreading. And then it talked about, you know, the, the divisions that are going on among politicians about how we're going to reopen and when we're going to re- reopen, what that looks like. And then it talked about the racism that we've seen in our country of late and just the protests and the, the sad things that are going on there. And then it talked about the looting and the violence Uh, that's going on in the wake of all that. And um, I finished uh, uh, making breakfast, and I went back and I sat at the table. And my son Samuel, I didn't even realize he was listening to the news. He looked at me and he said, Dad, boy, the world is crazy right now. And you know what? He is right. The world that we live in right now is chaotic. 2020 has been a chaotic year. Can I get an amen on that one? No matter what news source you, you listen to, you hear uncertainty. And so I was uh, listening to an interview last week with a guy named Scott Harris, or Scott Harrison. He's the leader of a nonprofit called Charity Water. He gives uh, clean water to poor people throughout the world. And the interviewer was talking about what is it it like to raise money in an environment like this? And he said, the interviewer said, you know, a lot of people say that this is either an, an interruption or a disruption. And he said, Scott Harrison, what do you think? And he says, oh, I think this is a major disruption. And he says, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. He said, I think we're headed for economic calamity. I don't want to scare you this morning, but that almost gave me a panic attack. And it's not just living right now. I mean, life as we know it is chaotic, isn't it? It's not just 2020. It's every year for a lot of people that's chaotic. Uh, to, To be human is to be vulnerable. To be human is to live in a world that is uncertain. And so here's the question I'm interested in asking this morning. How do we live in a world of uncertainty without living in fear? How do we live in a world of uncertainty without living in fear? In other words, here's another way to put it. How do we live in a world of chaos with courage? How do we live in the midst of chaos with courage? Because we need courage, don't we? You know, we need, no matter how crazy the world is, we need to live in a place of courage because you need courage to love, don't you? No matter how crazy it gets, you still need to love those around you. And have you ever realized how difficult it is to love when you're all kind of turned in on yourself in fear? We need courage to lead. So whether you're leading a family or a business or a church, it takes courage to lead people in a time of chaos, You know we need to be we need to be a non anxious presence for those who look to us for leadership, and you know when the building is burning down and everything's going crazy, people look to those who are calm. How how can we be calm? Uh, We need courage to live in a world of uh, of injustice. Just to live as Christian people and to stand against evil in the world takes courage. We can't be sucked into the chaos. How can we live in a world of chaos? without succumbing to it. Well, that's where a Psalm 91 is so incredibly helpful. Psalm 91 is a, it's, it's a promise of divine protection. It's a beautiful psalm of divine protection. And what it does is it gives us a promise that, that fills us with courage. It is a psalm that, that eases the fear that we experience in an uncertain world. Athanasius, an early church father, he said the promise in the psalms Tells you what 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 enables you to live with a fearless mind. A fearless mind. Don't you want a fearless mind to lead and to love, to live? We need to understand this promise. I want to see three things about the promise in Psalm 91. First, we're going to see uh, number one, what the promise does not mean. Second of all, we need to learn what the promise does mean. And then finally, how do we laid hold of the promise? And so, uh, point one, first, we're going to see, what does this promise not mean? Because when you look at the psalm, it seems like what's being promised to us as the people of God is a life where suffering can't touch us, is a life where uh, w- if you're a good person and you trust Jesus, nothing bad will happen to you. And because let's, I mean, just look at the psalm. Let's just read a few uh, verses here. So this is uh, verse uh, 9 and 10. It says, Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, because you trust in the Lord, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague can come near you. So if you're a Christian, no plague will come near you. No evil will befall you. Nothing bad will happen to you. Here's another verse in the psalm. This is Psalm uh, 91, verse 7. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. So trouble out there, uh, trouble is all around, suffering is out there. It's not going to come near you, not if you trust the Lord, not if he's on your side. Then there's this one. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways, on their hands they shall bury you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. So it almost seems to be saying, if you trust in God, you won't even stub your toe. You won't, uh, you won't even hit your foot against the stone. Nothing bad, even as small as stubbing your, your toe. It's not gonna touch you. A lot of faith, uh, health, and wealth teachers use this psalm to teach that if you're a good person, bad things won't happen. And also the reverse, if you're a bad person bad things will happen to you. If you're, if you're a person of faith, they teach, you're gonna be protected against anything bad that might come into your life. Now, there's a lot of reasons why this is not the right reading of the psalm. Uh, this, that cannot be the way that we read this because of several different reasons. Let me just lay them out for you. Number one, if, if you think that this psalm teaches that if you're a Christian, nothing bad will happen to you, well, you need to ignore almost every other story in the Bible, Almost every story in the Bible depicts a very, very righteous person who also undergoes incredible suffering. Just think about the book of Job. Job was a righteous man. He was a person of prayer. He was righteous in all of his ways, and yet God allowed him to suffer. So if you think this is a promise against all pain, how do you explain Job? But not only that, if you you think this keeps righteous people from suffering, how do you explain Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ was a good man, wouldn't you agree? Jesus Christ was a man of faith and a man of prayer, and yet Jesus Christ, the best man who ever lived, suffered horribly. And so this is not a promise that you're going to be protected if you're a person of God. Jesus suffered. Uh, This is is not the way to read this psalm, also because it contradicts every promise that you have in the Bible— that promise suffering. So do you know that one of the promises in the Bible is that we will experience trouble? Jesus Christ, at the end of his life, um, right before he was crucified, he looked at his disciples and he said, in this world, you will have trouble. It's a divine promise. We will suffer tribulation. Being a Christian doesn't give you a pass to all pain and suffering in the world. And then uh, later on in 1 Peter Peter actually says, he says, My brethren, do not be surprised if you encounter trials of various sorts. Peter says, Expect them. I'm promising them. Not only that, if you read this as promise, a promise that nothing bad will ever ever happen to a righteous person, how do you explain people that you know? How do you explain your own life? Some of the most beautiful, faithful, loving people of prayer that I've met have experienced deep pain. Some of you in this room have been incredibly faithful to God, and yet you've had a lot of deep pain in life. That cannot be the way to interpret this psalm. In fact, you know, this is the way the devil wants you to read the psalm. Did you know that? There is one place in the Bible where the devil quotes scripture. Can anybody remember where that was? It's this one. He was tempting Jesus in the desert, and he brought Jesus to the top of the temple, and he said, throw yourself off, because he will give his angels charge over you. He was saying, Jesus, don't take the way of suffering. In fact, you know, if God loves you, he wouldn't let you suffer at all, so throw yourself down. You see, the devil, this is the way the devil reads this psalm. This psalm is not a promise that we will never suffer. And it's important for us to realize this, because, you know, when suffering comes into your life, If you think that that God is supposed to protect you from that, you might be angry, you might be confused. Uh, On top of just the normal pain that you're going through, you'll have the add-in burden of thinking, what did I do wrong? Why is this happening? This shouldn't be happening. You know, you'll have not only the pain to deal with, you'll have to deal with the extra pain of thinking it shouldn't be happening. There's a story of uh, Kate Bowler. She's a, a professor at Duke University of Religion, Um, She is also a cancer survivor. She wrote an entire book on the health and wealth gospel, you know, about how people believe that if you're good, you will never uh, suffer. And then uh, while writing the book, she actually came down with stage four cancer. And she said she realized that in that moment, she had her own kind of personal prosperity gospel. And here's what she writes. She said, my own personal prosperity gospel had failed me. Anything I thought was good or special about me could not save me. My hard work, my personality, my humor, my perspective, I had to face the fact that my life is built on paper walls, and so is everyone else's. She says, here's the fact. The fact of the matter is life in the world is vulnerable and filled with trouble. Psalm 91 is not a guarantee that God will shield me from all suffering. What is, a, what is it a promise then for? Well, I mean, why is it here? <laughs> is it a promise of divine pr- protection or not? And if it is, what does it mean? How do I claim this promise? What is he talking about here? Well, it is a wonderful promise of protection. It is a wonderful promise that will give you security and fearlessness in, in the world. But I want to tell you what kind of promise it is. What does the promise mean? Well, first of all, it is a protection in trouble and not from trouble. If you want to read it right, this is a protection in trouble and not from trouble. If you look later on in the psalm, it says this, when he calls to me, this is God speaking, I will answer him, the person in trouble, and and I will be with him in the trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. So I will not save him from the trouble. I will be, I will protect him in the trouble. This is a promise of protection in the middle of trouble. In fact, earlier in the psalm, there's a metaphor of a shield and a buckler. What is a buckler? A buckler is a shield that you put on your shoulder, and a shield is one that you hold in your hand. And when do you need a shield and a buckler? Not when you're at home watching television. You don't need a shield and buckler when you've been spared from the battle. You need a shield and buckler right in the middle of the battle. When you're in trouble, that's when you need a shield. And this is the kind of protection that God is promising here. It's a protection right in the middle of trouble, right when everything is uncertain and chaos is swirling all around. It's a promise that, that God is going to protect you right in the, in the middle of that pain. It's one that looks like this Eugene Peterson put it like this. He said, All the water in the oceans cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside, nor can all the trouble in the world harm us unless it gets within us. Here's the protection. It's not a hedge of protection that keeps the troubles out of your life. It's a hedge of protection around your heart so that even when you're in the trouble, it doesn't get inside. Uh, Philippians 4 describes this protection where it says, be anxious for nothing, don't be afraid, because it says when you lift your, th- your, your concerns up to God, he will guard your heart like a garrison, and a garrison is a squad of, squadron of soldiers, that guards the citadel of your heart and it that keeps the trouble out. So this is a trouble, not a, a protection not from the trouble, but in the trouble. It's also a, a protection that's an inner security and not an outer security. There's a lot of things you can do in your life to get outer security, right? You can put bolts on your door. You can wear a helmet, a safety helmet. You can have, you know, fill your your bank account with with money to give you security. Uh, You can be healthy and eat healthy and live healthy. These are a lot of things that provide a measure of security. This is not the protection that God is talking about here. This is not an outer security that comes from all these things, because all of those things, let's face it, fail eventually. This is an inner protection. It's an inner sense of security. It's a security that, 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 although everything is going wrong on the outside, there's a deep sense of safety on the inside. Horatius Sp- Spafford wrote the, the famous hymn, It Is Well With My, with My Soul. And the circumstances when, when he wrote that, that hymn were horrible. He, um, his little uh, four-year-old daughter had uh, died of scarlet fever, and then he went on a uh, vacation with his family Uh, to get away from the the difficulty, and and in the midst of that, his his wife and his daughter, who he sent on a boat ahead of him, their their boat sank. His four little daughters died, and then later on, his wife wrote him a wire from England that said, I am saved alone. The next morning, Spafford wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, that says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. He's talking about an inner sense of security that no matter what's going on in life, there's something secure and stable going on. On the inside, there's a protection on the inside. Also, it's not the absence of suffering, but the presence of God. Verse 15, again, it says, I will be with you in the trouble. God is saying, no matter what you go through, no matter how horrible it will be, You'll have a protection that comes from my presence. Have you ever noticed that when you're in the presence of a person that loves you, when there's somebody that is with you and says, I'm gonna be with you no matter what, and you know that they love you, that kind of gives you a strength against almost anything that might happen in life. I was riding my bike um, yesterday with my little son, Micah. He just learned how to ride a bike and so uh, he was riding around, and there's a hill behind our house that Michael won't go down. It's just too steep. He's brand new at riding the, his little bike. And so uh, we were out riding, and he said, Daddy, let's go down the hill. And I said, I thought you were afraid to go down the hill. And he says, Daddy, I can go down the hill now because you're with me. It's the same hill. It's just as dangerous. He's just as new riding his bike. What changed? I'll tell you what changed, but he This is a security that comes from the presence of God. Not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. Knowing that God is with you. This is the essence of what the gospel promises us. The gospel promise is not that your life is going to be smooth sailing from here on out or that everything's going to be well on the outside. The gospel promise is that no matter what happens in life, God will never leave you and he will never forsake you. In fact, Romans uh, 8, it says... Uh, neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor any other created thing will be able to separate you from God's love. And this love is a sense of protection in your life. It's kind of like, you know, when, when you're married. And uh, I heard somewhere that when you have a good marriage, when you when you are with somebody that you know loves you, you can almost face anything in life. A, if you have a strong marriage, you go out into the world with strength. In contrast, if you have a weak marriage, you know, where there isn't love there, you go into the world with weakness. If your most basic core relationships are filled with love, you can face anything in life. And what God is saying is that I am the deepest, most core relationship that you have. And if I am with you, and I promise never to leave you or forsake you, if I am with you, you're going to be okay. Uh, Kate Bowler, if you remember her, she, when she had cancer and she was suffering, she said there was one thing in, that, made her, that encouraged her, that felt, made her feel strong and safe. And she said it wasn't that the cancer went away because it didn't. She said it was the fact that God was with me. And here's what she said. She says, what would it mean for Christians to give up that little piece of the American dream that says you are limitless? What if rich did not have to mean wealthy and whole did not have to mean healed What if being people of the gospel meant that we are simply people with good news? God is here. We are loved. It is enough. This is your protection. God is here. You are loved. It is enough. God is here. You are loved. It is enough. Life's gonna be difficult, There's a promise of trouble, but God is here. Here's the promise of the gospel. You are loved. It is enough. And so this psalm promises us a deep, rich, soul-level protection that God will never leave you. And because of that, even though life may be crazy, it cannot touch you, Not, not on the inside, not at the deepest level. It can be well with your soul. Okay, let's ask the final question. How do we lay hold of the promise? This is a wonderful promise. I mean, it's a a great promise, and it's it's at the heart of the gospel, and it has the power to give you courage, to give you a fearless mind in this chaotic world. How do we lay hold of the promise? Because here's what the psalm says. It's like God is this refuge. God is a shelter, a shadow from the storm. But you say, God is is there, and I'm here. (laughs) How do I, you know... How can God be my shelter? How can I get that, that secure, security that comes from His presence? The answer is pretty simple. You've got to come into His presence. You've got to go into God. You've got to run into God. Essentially, what this man is saying is he's saying if you want to live in this world with courage, there's only one safe place. God alone is the place of safety. And he says, I got my courage when I ran into him. You can stay over here and God can be over here, but he says, run into me, run into my shelter, run into the fortress that is my presence and receive my peace. In fact, this man uses a a word here. He says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He's talking about his relationship to God's presence. And he says, the key is, I'm abiding. And the word abide simply means to dwell. It means to make something your permanent dwelling place. It means to live in a place. And he's saying, if you want a fearless mind, if you want courage, you've got to learn how to dwell in God. You've got to learn to take your shelter in him. I remember when I was uh, younger, I used to, when when thing when life got hard, I would always go home. <laughs> Even though I moved out, you know, it's was one of those guys in their 20s when, um, you know, I would face economic hardship and I would go home. Or, you know, I broke with, up with my girlfriend and I'd go home. And when I went home, it's not because home made everything better. It's not that things went away. I still went through a breakup. I still, life was still out there. It's just, Home was where mom and dad loved me. It was my dwelling place. It was my place where where I knew no matter what happened, I was loved. And as long as I was abiding there, things were going to be okay. The psalmist says that God alone is the place of safety. In his presence is where you, you experience the love that nothing in this world will separate you from. He says, if you want to lay hold of this promise, it's out there. God is a shelter. He's a fortress for you. But you've got to learn how to run into him, and you've got to learn how to change your address. Don't live in fear, live in God. Make him your dwelling place. Jesus Christ is what this psalm ultimately points to. Uh, Jesus Christ is our ultimate shelter from the storm. Earlier in the psalm, he he likens God's presence to like hiding under the the wings of a bird, a mama bird sheltering her little chicks. Do you remember Jesus uh, when he was headed to the cross? He looked over Jerusalem and he said, "Oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, if you would, uh, if only you you would gather under my wings to receive shelter." He was saying he was the bird. He is the shelter. If a bird shelters the little babies in the midst of a fire, the bird gets killed and the babies are safe. The bird takes what the babies would have gotten. Jesus Christ, our ultimate shelter on the cross, takes all the suffering and all the judgment and all the pain so that we don't have to. So that he could be a safe place for us. Uh, Learning to abide in God means first that you uh, learn to trust him. If you're not a Christian, it means that you come to him and say, I'm not gonna look to my money for security or, you know, my good circumstances for security or myself for security. God, I am trusting in you alone. I'm transferring my trust from myself to Jesus. Jesus is my savior. If you are a Christian, I wanna encourage you to learn how to abide. Learn how to make your dwelling place in God. The Psalms are uh, essentially an example of someone who's doing this no matter what's going on in your life, whether it's fear or sorrow, discontentment or anger, this man has learned to make his dwelling place in God. And this is the place where courage is found. So let's, let's pray together and ask, God that, ask that God does this for us. Father, we, we thank you so much for this psalm, and we know that in this world of chaos, we need your courage Life is so uncertain and so chaotic. And Lord, we know that the only place of safety is in your presence. And so I pray that in abiding in you and dwelling in you, we might find our security in you. And God, that you might make us fearless, fearless to love, fearless to live for you, and fearless to lead others. Because we've made you our refuge. In Jesus' name we pray.